Welcome to Deal of the Week. I'm Alex Barenka, sitting in for Ed Hammond. It'll be our last episode for this year. We'll take next week off and be back with a new episode for you in January. But first, we are uh, joined today by Deals team leader Lizzie Fournier and Deals reporter Matt Monks. And we are excited to give you a bit of what we think is coming in 2018. If you listened to the show last week, you got the overview of what happened in the past 12 months in the Deals world. And now we're looking a bit toward the future. And Matt, I want to start with you. When you think about the biggest top trends that you expect out of the deals landscape next year, what first comes to mind? I think that we are in a a bubble right now on multiple fronts. Uh, uh, In the equity markets, you got Chinese wealth products, way overvalued. Bitcoin, there is a lot of cash sloshing around out there. A lot of it came off of various Federal Reserve balance sheets. Uh, People have thrown their money into all sorts of stuff looking for yield. And I think uh, uh, asset prices are valued across the spectrum. And I think that's the key thing that, you know, in my mind, I'm I'm going to be uh, looking at what may or may not happen on the M&A front, uh, because I think stuff is overvalued. And getting to the point, when stuff is overvalued, I think that's going to make people trepidatious to buy things. And especially if we expect there to be a correction, I think people are going to be very nervous. And, you know, I'm pretty bearish on M&A going into 2018. I think it's going to be a correction year. And we're not going to see a lot of uh, sexy, exciting stuff. Bearish on M&A. A lot of folks in the industry would not love to hear that. They want kind of more activity. Lizzie, when you think about um, the things that might, uh, to Matt's point, hold back appetite for these deals, what are you seeing? What are you thinking about? I mean, we talked about it last week, but the, the competition and antitrust stuff is definitely up there. Everyone's watching the AT&T Time Warner suit, which is sort of set to go to court in March. That's going to be a real bellwether as to whether people try and go ahead with these kind of big industry transforming deals. Um, one thing we have seen in the last couple of weeks is a kind of flurry of deals in the last few weeks of the year. That sort of bumped us up a little bit based on sort of the numbers were down, they're still down, but they're less down. Whether that's people tying things up now or whether it gives us an idea that that could be more confidence going into the year ahead, I'm not sure yet. And so last week I did uh, speak to Michael Carr, the co-head of M&A at Goldman Sachs, about the U.S. market. And you can read this story on. On Bloomberg.com, he actually said, look, this this flood of deals, this flurry of deals, Lizzie, that you're talking about at the end of 2017 here in the U.S. specifically could potentially be a harbinger for more activity later. And, and we all know uh, the folks in this industry obviously would like more activity. But he seemed to think that some of the uncertainty, especially around uh, tax policy, especially around regulatory issues, would actually... Uh, subside moving into next year. Matt, what's your take on that on that stance? I'm not seeing it. I mean, There's just so many unknowns right now. Um, we don't know how tax policy is going to shake up. And we also don't know the nuances of what's actually in these tax rules that they're going to be proposing. It's going to take corporate accountants, I don't a year, two years to sort through what they actually mean. I mean, the two things across the board that are the catalysts for M&A or the ingredients for M&A, you need stability and you need CEO confidence. When you don't know what the rules of the game are, it doesn't really uh, bode well for stability or confidence. 
Even if you take the best case scenario from the conversations I've been having where you just assume that taxes are going to be lower, that companies are going to have uh, more cash to allocate, I still hear folks talking about buybacks and dividends potentially uh, taking that slot instead of uh, M&A because of this uncertainty. Lizzie, when you think about capital allocation, uh, are there certain things that we should be keeping in mind moving into next year, even if the best case scenario for some of these these uh, cash holdings, whether it be lower taxes or repatriation, what are people going to be thinking about when they're putting that cash cash to work and choosing to give it back to shareholders, reinvest it in the company, or go out and buy something? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the share reaction when a company announces a deal versus when it announces a large buyback, you can kind of see your answer there. Investors love buybacks. Investors love dividends. If a company is just looking for sort of stable, long-term, something that's going to like you know boost its share price over the year without being too much of a risk, then they're going to go for the latter, and they're not going to not going to go out and try and do a big transaction. It is. It's a funny. It's a funny thing that we have talked about because in the past, because activists also love buybacks and dividends. And they have also been fairly active in the past couple of years, both pushing for M&A and pushing for these cash returns. Lizzie, on the activism front, are there certain things that you will be, certain situations that you'll be paying most attention to moving forward? We've had some activity just this week of uh, folks like Elliot rallying for changes at a number of companies. Yeah, activists actually do seem to be kind of leaning more towards the M&A side of things now. You're right, they used to be more interested in in dividends and buybacks. They still love that stuff, but they seem to be getting a little bit more ambitious in terms of sort of transforming companies beyond just the usual sort of board seat to influence influence strategy. Uh, So definitely things like slimming down of big conglomerates has been a real theme among the activists, Um, getting companies to really refocus on their sort of core business and sort of spin off other parts of the company. So I think that's the kind of M&A that we'll see sort of coming out of these activists situations. Because I think back to, you know, the, the Carl Icahn Apple situation, um, pushing for all those cash return to holders. And now you see folks uh, pushing for CEO replacements or the slimming down in spinoffs, which, you know, talking to people in the ECM industry, everyone says to keep an eye on that slice of the market. Matt, when you think about next year and where the activists might be more aggressive, are there certain industries where you think uh, there could be the possibility for more kind of rallying for change uh, by these activist group. Yes, I, I do think there are, and I start. I think you're starting to see it in a couple of the industries that I cover. Uh, in oil and gas exploration, for instance, you're starting to see uh, Elliot ramping up the campaign against Hess again, which he pushed them a couple years ago, and now he's advocating for more change. You've also seen it in uh, other oil and gas explorers. Someone challenged some of the actual uh, transactions that were announced, uh, Rice, EQT, uh, Sandridge, uh, Bonanza Creek. Um, so you're seeing two different things, you know, these guys getting in and actually pushing some of these explorers to do things, but they're also, you know, complicating the M&A question by crying foul about some of these transactions that they don't think are properly priced. So it's really a wild card when it comes to the activists and they have to go by a case-by-case basis. Uh, they can be a catalyst for M&A, but not always. And, and there's one more, Energen, which uh, you know some activists took a stake in and pushed to sell and nothing happened. Oil and gas has been an interesting kind of market because it has been so different driven by the underlying energy trends and kind of the weakness in the oil and gas market. What do you, where were we right now at this point? Are folks going out there and buying more? I know we had a lot of 
you know, restructuring of balance sheets and kind of resetting of uh, some of these challenged companies. Now, are people looking to be more opportunistic? Activists aside, what are you expecting in oil and gas specifically in the next year? If oil prices are stable and moving up, we will see more uh, transactional activity. This is what we saw last year when there was a, a, a when prices bottomed out and you know around fifty and then started spiking up. We saw a flurry of uh, decent sized transactions. Uh, if you know we are in that pathway again, yeah, certainly we're going to see some you know oil and gas deals. We're not going to see the big you know Anadarko got bought, Apache got bought, Occidental got bought. We may see one of those things like on a one off basis, but most of this stuff is going to be. You know, the sexiest that it's going to get is like, you know, $5 billion deals for companies that operate in some interesting areas that maybe have a little too much debt. That's the kind of stuff you're going to see exits at private equity companies. You know, the awesome, you know, 1990s, you know, big mega mergers, they're going to be one off few and far between. We could see one out of the blue at any time, but they're going to be uh, scarce. When I think even across other industries, blockbuster deals have not been ruling the headlines, Lizzie. Do you think that will continue moving into next year? I think that's probably the right way to think about it, yeah. I mean, there's, there's still consolidation to be done. There are still some big companies out there that are definitely looking for deals, particularly when you have sort of big industry-shaping things like CBS Aetna deal or the Disney Fox just from last week. But I think in terms of those really big deals, companies are going to be trepidatious about pushing ahead with something. Um, I think the the one thing we will continue to see is this sort of Amazon threat playing itself out across the industry. I, I kind of hate using that term because I think it's a sort of lazy way of explaining something a lot bigger, which is kind of the, the threat of these tech giants on, on every company. But I think that's that's going to be used as an excuse for all kinds of different deals uh, that companies are going to do. And going back to my conversation earlier this month with um, Goldman's co-head of M&A, Michael Carr, he did say, look, uh, the CEOs who are going to be making the biggest transactions are probably going to be the ones in industries where the fundamental structure of the industry is changing and they have to get ahead of it and respond uh, rapidly. Lizzie, when you think about, you mentioned the food space, we've seen some smaller one-off deals, we've seen some smaller deals in food consolidation just this week. When you think about what slices of the market, what industries do you think this kind of underlying change, whether it be technological driven or competition driven, is going to be the biggest hotbeds for M&A to keep up. Yeah, I think the consumer sector, you're right, is definitely something that's just undergoing a fundamental change, both because of the kind of growth of online brands and online services, but also this kind of shift in consumer trends. So that just this morning, we had sort of Hershey buying amplified snacks, which makes your kind of your kind of healthy popcorn snacks, things like that. So moving away from their traditional sugary confectionery and a ton of big consumer companies have been doing the same. Um, Obviously, that sort of feeds quite nicely into healthcare as well. We've got the sort of threat from from Amazon, et cetera, getting involved on the sort of prescription side. Uh, but you've also got big pharmaceutical companies slimming down and selling off things like their consumer health so that they can focus on R&D and the, the core drug making. So it really goes across you know, a lot of industries right through consumer, healthcare, into media, obviously, um, and beyond. Matt, what comes to mind for you when you when we talk about industries being disrupted, where they'll have to look to deals to kind of keep up? Uh, the main area that you're seeing it uh, in financial services is um, guys doing tech-oriented stuff for one reason or another. For instance, like an insurance company buying an insurance tech business. Uh, you've seen 
a couple examples of that sort of thing. Uh, or banks buying a new kind of tech business. You know, J.P. Morgan Chase bought the small payments company WePay. BBVA did something a couple of years ago. It didn't work out quite so well. But you're, you're seeing companies look towards, you know, tech solutions to kind of build out, you know, and do things that they don't already do better. And another example, we're going to see the most interesting example of that trend is in like the exchanges space, uh, you know, the exchanges that trade options or stocks. Uh, since that industry is already really consolidated, what you're starting to see is these companies go out and buy like data and information services providers. And if you're going to see any like really kind of sustained big stuff in financial services, I think that's where you're going to see it. So it'd be like intercontinental exchange buying like an S&P or an MSCI, Thomson Reuters, that is kind of like the sexiest thing I think you could see in financial services next year. Just exchanges doing something really big and interesting on the data front. And that is an interesting point, um, especially on uh, the financial services piece, that a lot of the deals have been smaller. When I think about the tech space, um, both now covering tech m and and paying a close attention to the private companies who might go public or exit via an M&A transaction, there's a lot of discussion among the potential acquirer group. Do we build this in-house or do we go out and buy it? And if we go out and buy it, we have to pay close attention to the potential valuations. So in tech specifically, valuations have been under great scrutiny. And you know, if you're Google or Facebook or Amazon and you think you can build something instead of having to go out and buy it, that's kind of ruled the day. Lizzie, when we think about tech, is that going to be the biggest driver for the next 12 months? Um, are there other things that folks are going to be looking at? I think there's a third option there. There's the you build it in-house, you go out and buy it, or you do, go for a partnership. And I think more and more companies, if they can, they'll do a partnership. They'll just team up with um, you know, a great smaller fintech brand or whatever is it that they're looking to do. And they'll they'll partner with them rather than having to buy them. Uh, unless it's an either. I mean, we saw Apple buy Shazam a couple of weeks ago. That seems like a fairly sort of simple, straightforward integration. But for a lot of companies, I think the easier option is to just sort of snap something onto the side, work with them, brand it nicely and go ahead without having to do any kind of M&A. And that's been a big boon for the smaller companies. And I will say, even though we are sitting here talking about not having an expectation for tons of mega deals in the M&A world, the IPO world is actually heating up in a uh, kind of very concerted way. It's almost tangible. When I talk to folks in the ECM space, they say, look, especially in the tech sector, if you look back at 2017, the deal count was double what it was just a year earlier. Earlier. And this year, you know, I, I always ask how many 10 billion plus market value companies do you think will list? And I'm getting numbers thrown out there five to 10. Remember in 2017, we only had a handful of uh, Snap, Altice um, when it comes to the tech sector. So lots of talk of a continued wave of the smaller enterprise companies that we saw listing this year with some of these larger names. And when I think about the news that we've broken and written on, Spotify's direct listing comes to mind. Dropbox, uh, we know, is on the path. Both of those could be right around that $10 billion market value point. But the other major subset of companies that people talk about is companies listing out of Asia. These companies that are frenemies, Lizzie, to your point, with some of the big Asian uh, tech giants that are Tencent-backed companies or Alibaba-backed companies coming here, like Tencent Music, um, which people familiar with the matter said have looked to do an IPO either in Hong Kong Kong or potentially in the U.S. When you think about the listings market, Lizzie, are there things that you think we will be paying an inordinate amount of attention to in the next 12 months? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the Chinese companies that you bring up are definitely going to be uh, huge players on the scene. I mean, it's almost similar to, say, 18 months, two years ago when we had this huge wave of outbound Chinese M&A. Uh, one of the things that I think people cite again and again when you're talking about Chinese companies is the sort of execution risk. After that M&A boom came huge capital controls in the countries and a crackdown on uh, companies doing stuff abroad. And we've already kind of seen some of backlash against this IPO run. They've put sort of curbs on fintech companies. So I think you can have a really strong pipeline there. But the certainty that it's going to turn into sort of actual activity is always slightly limited. It is funny, though, because I've asked that uh, to some of the uh, folks who are close to these deals, and they've said, yes, that's true. Some of these deals haven't traded well in the aftermarket, but investor appetite to buy in is still there. And even if these deals valuations get cut, it's still at a level that people are comfortable with. Um, There's one other kind of uh, potentially teasing into M&A point that I will bring up about the IPO market is you cannot talk about IPOs these days without talking about SoftBank because SoftBank has gone out there with this $100 billion vision fund and taken multi-billion dollar stakes in the likes of WeWork, Uber, Flipkart. So they are really transforming the exit opportunities because if you're an early holder or if you're an investor in a private company and you need liquidity and SoftBank's willing to write you a check at a big uh, valuation, people are taking that option these days. It's still unclear what SoftBank wants to do with all these companies and where their exit will be. Do they buy them outright? Do they eventually take them public? But that is something that I know I will be paying a lot of attention to in the next 12 months. So to wrap it up here, Matt, is there something, the one thing that you think is going to be the top driving factor for you in your reporting in the next 12 months in M&A? Yeah, equity values falling down. There's going to be a correction. And um, when that happens, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to well be very interesting to see two different things. You know, what if that's a catalyst for, you know, smart buyers to get out there and do things? Um, But also, is it going to ruin the financial dynamics of transactions that have been announced or transactions that have been closed? You don't want to overpay for something. You know, you really don't. That's like the worst thing that you can do. And the worst thing that you can do is overpay for something that you don't understand or, you know, it's a new thing. So, you know, I think a correction in the equity values or assets in multiple fronts seeing some kind of correction there. I think I think that's the number one thing to be worried about. It's something I'm worried about. Something that strategics will be looking for. I do know the sponsors, the private equity firms might love that oh, to snap it. up some assets yeah. out there. Lizzie, what will you be paying attention to? Is there a specific deal that you will be watching uh, going into 2018? I hate coming back to it again and again, but AT&T, Time Warner, um, if that falls apart, then that's going to have a huge sort of crushing impact, I would say, on any large M&A, any media M&A and any of these sort of vertical or horizontal mergers. People will have to start thinking of them as potentially the same thing. Um, so it's a, a look, sort of look back answer, but it's the one thing that's that's got to affect next year. Lizzie Fournier, thank you for joining us. Matt Monks, thank you. Uh, Please be sure to rate, review, and follow us where you listen to your podcasts. Follow us at at Bloomberg Deals on Twitter. That's at B-L-O-O-M-B-E-R-G Deals, D-E-A-L-S. Matt, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm Matt Monks, one, two, three. Lizzie? EJ underscore Fournier. And I'm at Alex Barenka. Thanks for joining. Mm -hmm. 